Pam, uh, I think one of the things that uh, the Kramers talked about that's so incredibly important is having other families, other people in our lives. Uh, it's definitely been uh, life-saving, I think, for both Jackie and my own sanity, but uh, probably every bit as important for our kids when it comes to uh, how psychotic they think that dad and mom can kind of be from time to time. What I'd like to know, though, is where was Henry hiding those moves last night? Did you, any of you guys see him busting that loose out on the dance floor last night? I didn't witness that. Well, as we stated, uh, going into uh, this evening, into as we start out the new year here, uh, our theme is Each One Reach One. And there's a passage in Matthew, Matthew 8, and uh, there's this leper that, that sees Jesus coming down from the mountain. And the word has gotten out as to what Jesus was able to accomplish. And he basically approached Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing. And, and Jesus' response in Matthew 8, verse 3 was, as he reached out his hand and he touched the man, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. And I would imagine if any of you have had the opportunity the last few days to see what's been going on in the media, it's absolutely amazing what is taking place, not just worldwide, but even here at home that a 22-year-old can bust out a handgun and shoot 19 people as they're sitting in the front of a grocery store talking to a congresswoman that's behind a table. I mean, we're not talking, we're not talking terrorists in the Middle East. We're not talking people blowing themselves up with bombs, which that's taking place this weekend, too. There's, if you uh, hit MSN, there's about 150-something fatalities that have taken place in just small little areas around the world. And what that shows us is really, again, the fallen state that we're in today. But it's so awesome to know that we have a God who has sent a Son that is more than capable of curing those ailments. Amen? Um, when it comes to uh, the New Testament, any of you have any particular Bible heroes that stand out? Anybody? New Testament. It's, it's a lot easier sometimes in the Old Testament. You know, you got all those sword-wielding warriors that are out there. We, we know there were a couple of those in the New Testament. One was told to kind of put his sword away. But anybody? I heard Paul. Peter. He's a derelict. He knows where I'm going with this tonight. Don't you? We talked about this. But, you know, he's the only one that said it, though. I mean, I don't know about you, but when Andrew is mentioned, what do we know about Andrew? A lot? Not a whole lot, but we're going to learn a little bit more about him tonight. Now, Dr. Johnson. Could you name the 12 apostles for us? Do we have anybody in our midst that can? Let's give her our attention. Oh, my gosh. Amen. So, you know, when it comes to the 12, we've at least got one person here that's very familiar with them. And, you know, Jesus, I think one of the things that comes out about relationships, when we look to Jesus Christ, we know that he had his one, which was, he attests to it himself. There's a gospel that he wrote. John, right? There's the three, right? Those would be? Peter, James, and John. We have our 12, but what about the four? Yes, the four. Spent a little bit of time in the Bible on this, and it's interesting. 
the three are mentioned nine times in the Gospel, Peter, James, and John. But there are four that are listed together in the Gospels that appear 60% of that nine. Actually, five times they're mentioned as a group. And the thing that I want us to focus on tonight, we're going to kind of look at one of them a little bit closer than uh, probably we normally would. But there are four men, four very different men, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Now, all of them came from the same town in Bethsaida. All of them had the same profession. They were all fishermen. They were all in the first group that came to Christ. And as we think about these names, I want us to ask ourselves, what kind of people can God use? I think that's the issue with each of us here today, is what kind of people can God use in His ministry? What kind of people can change the world? What kind of people can preach the gospel of the kingdom so that souls are saved and lives are changed? What kind of people does God ordain for His purpose? Now, in looking at three of the men, Simon Peter, don't know about his characteristics, a little impulsive, a little hot-headed, a little dynamic, a little impetuous, a little strong. Uh, he was an initiator, kind of coarse, rough around the corners, bold, the dynamic kind. Any of you know any of those types at all? There, there, there's a few of them out there. Now, we know James, one of the Zebedee boys, the Sons of Thunder, he was another one. Brash, courageous, ambitious, sometimes a little loveless, sometimes a little insensitive. Uh, and, you know, there were some self-focus issues there. You know, if you remember, James and John wanted what? They wanted the right and left hand of, of God. I mean, they, they, you know, they just kind of thought, hey, man, we're the Sons of Thunder. We got this going on. Why shouldn't we be number one, number two? Mom even bought into it. She's the one that made the case for him. And then there's Andrew. Andrew, Andreas in the Greek, means manly. In some instances, his name was interpreted as being the mighty one or the conqueror. But, you know, when we think of Andrew, is that the thing that really comes to mind? I mean, most of us, when we think of Andrew, it's like, well, okay, he's mentioned somewhere in the Gospels. He's one of the twelve, we know that. And as I said earlier, he was native to the city of Bethsaida, son of John, brother of Simon Peter. And he was the first of the apostles to be called. Andrew was the first one to reach one. Let's go and open our Bibles to John 1, verse 35. John 1, verse 35. says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples, referencing John the Baptist here. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus said, or saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. You know, some of the facts about Andrew, brother Peter, originally a disciple of John the Baptist. Kind of looking at our uh, map here, Bethsaida is uh, the fishing village that they all came from. Now, he had traveled all the way down here to Bethany, which... Uh, 
my wife and I had a little bit of uh, had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time in Jerusalem. The Kramers had a lot more time than we had to spend in Jerusalem. And you know, uh, you're dealing with a distance of about 80 miles. Uh, what most historians say that uh, generally a good pace in the desert is about 20 miles a day. So for Andrew, it was about a four-day journey to go hang out with John the Baptist, which obviously there was something that motivated him to do that. You know, this was a man that was into the Scriptures, that realized, okay, this John the Baptist is preaching about some of the things that we as Jews hang on to as near and dear, and there's this talk of a Messiah. So he makes that trek 80 miles. You know, some of you guys, you've spent a little bit of time in the desert, Palm Springs, Death Valley. We got anybody that's done that at all? Can you imagine 80 miles? I remember tra- traversing down the face of Masada. We had a bunch of campus students over there at the time, and uh, we decided rather than take the tram down, we'd run down the, the, the whatever you call it, the uh, crisscross, uh, switchbacks down the face of this thing. It's about 120 degrees outside. God must have totally protected me because I beat all the campus students down, and I actually am here to talk about it today. But it was, and that was probably, what, maybe a couple miles with the uh, switchbacks down and backing down, forth down the thing. And to imagine traveling 80 miles to go hear someone preach. Yet that was the kind of heart for God that Andrew had. We see in the passage we just read that he spent a day there with Jesus. Went to where Jesus lived. Next passage in uh, verse 41 says the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And what did he do? He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, instead of John, you will be called Cephas, which was translated as Peter. So Andrew was the first one to reach one. He brought Peter to Christ. Now, we look at how this all went down. No pomp and circumstance. Didn't cut off anybody's ear. Didn't call down fire from heaven on all the derelicts that are out there walking on the face of the planet. Just as simple, we have found the Messiah. You know, Andy uh, Winsey did an incredible lesson uh, back at the end of last year where we were talking about the character of men. And I remember the passage that uh, he used was out of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11. And I know for me, he really opened my eyes to something new. Because there was an aspect in that passage that talks about minding our own business. And I I know for me as a kid, you know, growing up, I tried to throw my brothers under the bus from time to time when they were doing, you know, the derelictal things that they did. Not that I did any. But, uh, you know, you always got, I always got from my mom, why don't you just mind your own business? And then, you know, my brothers would reciprocate that same statement. So when I read that passage, that was generally the thing that came to mind. But, you know, ultimately... This is the kind of life that Andrew led. He led a quiet life. He took care of his own business. We know he was a fisherman. He had some degree of success with that. It was a business that they were in. But ultimately, it was so that his daily life would win the respect of others. And that's such an incredible thing. You know, we're we're not all cut out to be Peters. We're not all cut out to be James. But I think we can look to the example of Andrew here and see, you know what? There's absolutely no reason why we can't all be men and women of impact. You know, one of the things that we see about Andrew is his spirituality. Just even kind of talking about the trek there, the 80 80 miles from Bethsaida to uh, Bethany. And then ultimately John the Baptist directing him to the Messiah. Now, if we want to kind of characterize his life, it was simple. He was always the one bringing one to Jesus. Started with his own brother, Peter. 
We know based on Peter's conduct that he must have had some form of respect for Andrew to, to buy in. You know, when, when, when he says, hey, come on, man, come check this out. I found the Messiah. Obviously, he had a degree of influence in Peter's life for that to take place. I think with that, too, he realized that everyone has the, the need for the Messiah. There was no prejudice. He didn't qualify people. You know, I, I know that I can fall into this sometimes. I'll look at someone and maybe because of what I perceive as their degree of success or their degree of atheism or whatever based on conversation, you know, I, I, I find myself backing away from maybe what I entered into the interaction with initially. I, I've got a good friend of mine who had a very similar situation where there was a couple that had moved in next to where they lived. And they were, you know, they were reaching out to him. They'd had him over for a few meals and uh, the brother had had some interaction with the husband and kind of pulled back because, you know, the, the wife didn't have quite the same relationship, you know, with his wife. gentleman got struck with cancer. And then it turned into one of these things where, well, you know, I, I've got to wait until he gets better. I've got to wait until he gets better. Well, the, the sad thing was better never came. And I think really understanding the opportunities that we have before us, and it can be nothing more than just come check this out. Come follow me. We don't have to be the kind of preacher that Peter was to have an impact. So we see Jesus in this next passage interacting on behalf of some Gentiles. There we go. John 12, verse 20. And this is kind of interesting. This was a new one for me. Obviously, with the Old Testament, we know that God was going to send a Messiah for everyone. But this is the earliest, I don't ever remember seeing this passage where the Gentiles were being discussed so early on when it came to the fact that God was sending Jesus for them as well. In this passage in uh, verse 20, it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. You know, we see Jesus establishing for Andrew here in this passage that whoever serves him, Jew or Gentile, what? Ultimately, all of us have the opportunity to be honored by God if we're willing to serve Christ. Now, why did Philip go to Andrew? I think it was the very same reason that Peter followed Andrew to Christ. Philip respected Andrew. Philip realized that Andrew, even though we, he's not one of these guys that maybe has the kind of uh, the amount of time in Scripture that Peter did, he was on that inner circle. There was interaction with Christ. And Philip wasn't confident in, in, in approaching Jesus himself, but he, he respected Andrew enough, and he knew that if he went to Andrew, that they would get the answers as to how best to deal with this particular situation. And again, I think it really gives us some insight as to how important the Word is in our lives. Because if we take it to God, we go to the Scriptures, and we have the kind of partnerships that Henry was talking about, We'll get the answers that we need in order to lead strong, fruitful lives for Christ. Amen? 
So this, this passage here, I think it gives us some insight into the openness of Andrew's heart and Andrew's spirituality. His own personal need for Christ, and with that, wanting to share the blessing he had in Christ with others. He brought his brother to Christ, and by reaching one, he reached thousands with Peter. He brought, in this situation, the Greeks to Christ, which opened a door to thousands more. So when it comes to our conduct, the thing that we've got to ask ourselves today is, do we live our lives in a manner that people see there is something different? You know, uh, Andy had a list for us to go through. You know, there's things like light and salt, things that make a difference, things that should make us attractive, not only to those outside the church, but how much more so even to our own kids. You know, is the lifestyle that we're living one that they want to embrace for their own, one that they want to imitate, one where they see there's something bigger than just the lives that are taking place out there that lead to some of the travesty we see on a daily basis, that we can have a purpose, that we don't need a gun to go out and make a name for ourselves. Amen? See, Andrew had faith. He also had the kind of faith that by bringing a boy to Christ, that somehow Jesus would make a difference with that as well. you guys know you've converted me you know this whole powerpoint thing and i was actually looking online to find the story to read to you and i came across the video i was like hey that's kind of cool anyways my wife wanted to share a couple things here i don't know if he's totally converted yet um <laughs> but uh anyway i you know when steve said he's going to talk about andrew i went wow that sounds exciting um but you know because i mean I, I thought i mean i'm just being honest all right, I'm just being honest. Amen, we appreciate that. And, um, but, you know, it's really great what God does in the Holy Spirit. You look at the Bible, I'm like, oh, my gosh, Andrew is so awesome. I can relate to Andrew because Andrew, I look at him and I go, you know what? I don't have to have all the answers. You know, I don't have to know 
every scripture to fix this person. You know, I don't have to um, have the right way to do, you know, whatever situation is going to help this person best. Because, one, we're part of a greater, you know, it's, it's greater than me. Yep. It, it's not about me. It's about God and what he could do through all of us collectively with one another. Um, it takes a village. And, you know, for me, what I love to see about Andrew is that um, I can, what I can do is I can go come see. Come with me. Hi, you know what? Oh, wow. Uh, come to dinner. You know what? I have a friend that invited us to dinner or having a party. Come with me. Come see the kingdom. They might not come to a church event. They might not come to, you know, a Bible talk. Maybe they will. Some will. Some will come to church. Some will come to Bible talk. But some will need to come to my house and will just need to come to my friend's house and be able to see the kingdom. And I can do that. Anybody can do that. Anybody can say, come and see. And the other thing I love about Andrew is I don't have to have great faith. God says I don't have to have great faith. He says I have to have enough faith, just a little faith. I believe everybody in here has enough faith to say, come and see. Come with me. Um, I think we forget the impact of what our church, um, the impact that our church makes. Um, you know, recently in having out my niece to church and Steve's um, sister to church and his, her family to church, you know, I think we just get used to uh, the speaking and the preaching and the love and the spirit that God puts in the church. And we forget to tell people, you've got to come see this because we're no longer amazed. Yet when these people come, they're like, wow, that was incredible. Wow, people are so friendly and loving. Um, I, I haven't experienced anything like this. It's so different than what I'm used to. And then I'm reminded, oh, my gosh. I have become so dull to how incredible the kingdom of God really is. At our worst, it's better than anything that's out there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, there was a little saying. It's really stupid. It was at a gas station. I saw it on this uh, a little sticker at a gas station. It, but I remembered it, and it's been years and years and years. And it says, to the world you may be one person, but to one person you may be the world. Wow. And I think, you know, the people that shared with us, the people that invited us, we were having a garage sale. And they invited us to church. And I thought, what if that never had happened? Where would my life be today? What if, and I mean, we were all kinds of judgmental um, and, and not open at all. Uh, but if they had, you know, given up on our initial response, especially Steve, um, to our initial response. This should be a truth for me now. I appreciate her candor about herself. Um, but, I mean, you know, I didn't come to church the first time. I didn't come to church when I said I was going to the first time. And, uh, you know, but this person stuck in there with me. And I think that, you know, I'm just super grateful that they did. I'm sure it wasn't easy. I think we were probably intimidating to them. Um, you know, I've been told that before. But I think that, uh, and, but I appreciate them, you know, pushing through. And, um Again, I, I just want to share it. We just have to have enough faith to say, come and see. And what God can do with that is amazing. I think sometimes we make it too much about us. I remember being in the gym, and I had made this commitment to God. I'm going to share. I had seen Jada Pinkett and, um, and Will Smith in the gym before. And we had, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know. And, um, but I thought, okay, next time I see her, I'm going to invite her to Women's Day. I want her to come to Women's Day with me. And so here I am running on the treadmill. And if you've ever seen me at the gym, it's not a pretty sight. And I am dripping 
dripping sweat from head to toe. And my hair is like plaster back. I have no makeup on. And she walks by. I'm like, oh, Lord, please. I can't believe I'm, I have to share with her. And, I mean, I'm really gross. But I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it, God. And um, so I had gone up to her. She thought I was actually going to ask her for her autograph. She got a pen out. <laughs> And I said, you know, actually, Jada, I'm not, you know, I introduced myself. I'm Jacqueline Ricci. I'm she's like, ooh, wow. Um, but I have this incredible event that I need to invite you to. I need to invite you to a women's day that we're having. And I explained to her about the church or whatever. And she's like, okay, well, if I, you know, if I can make it all. And I gave her an invitation. And she said, well, if I can make it out, you know, I'll have my people call you. Um, but over the course of several months, I saw her and Will in the gym. And we developed this little friendship, this gym friendship, where it was a like, hi, how you doing, how are the kids, how's this? When I was 90 times, 90, like, she probably would never recognize me outside the gym. But you know what? It was so amazing. And then I heard that somebody else had shared with him. Obviously, they didn't become disciples yet. But, um, but I do think that God, he used that to even help my own faith, because I had the guts, I had made a commitment, and God built on that little bit of faith to invite other people as well. And I think that's all we got to do. Some are going to come, some aren't. But some will. And God can do a lot with that. Amen. Amen. Thanks, babe. You know, I think like the uh, gentleman that ran up to the young lady on the beach there, you know, he's looking at all the starfish. And I think sometimes that's how we can be. We look at all the situations, all the people, our coworkers, our neighbors, and it can get overwhelming. Little girl's approach is very simple. Picks one up, throws it in the water. Made a difference to that one. And that's the kind of impact that we can have. That's the kind of impact that Andrew had. Turn with me, if you will, to uh, John 6, verse 1. Oh, they already got it up there for me. John 6, verse 1. says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? You know, I think there's a contrast here between Philip and Andrew, which I really appreciate, and that Jesus went to Philip and was like, come on, dude, come up with an answer here. What does Andrew do? He takes the initiative. Now, he had a simple faith, and I think as Jack mentioned, we don't need a big faith. We don't need a larger-than-life faith. And I really don't know what he was thinking when he brought the little boy to Jesus, but he brought him. And maybe it had to do with the fact that he was at that wedding in Cana when Jesus turned the wine, or excuse me, the water into wine. He may have just figured to himself, well, hey, if he can do that with wine, why can't he make food? Yet he was willing, the thing that impresses me is he did take that initiative. He wasn't quite sure how it was going to work out. You know what? Sometimes that's where we go. We get too concerned with what the final outcome is going to be. We don't need to. That's up to God. That's up to Jesus. But you know what? That, that kind of initiative, that each one reaching one, that's what God's looking for. You know, I think when it comes to our own lives, 
We've all seen God, we've all seen Jesus do miracles in our lives. You know, Jackie shared a little bit about it. The Kramer shared a little bit about it. I wouldn't be married to that woman today. I know that unequivocally, without a doubt, without God in my life, there's no way 27 years later I'd still be married. That's how God works. Overcoming so much of the damage that I did to this woman in those first few years of our marriage. And I look at the same situation with the kids that my kids can have open communication with me. My 22-year-old daughter will pull me aside and ask for input. When I'm out in public, she'll walk arm in arm with me. She's not embarrassed to hang out with this old man. Which, to me, is such a gift from God. It keeps my heart soft. And we all have our stories. We all have our miracles. And you know what? Those things are relatively easy to share with people. As to how God has worked in our lives. So here again, we see Andrew with one having an impact on thousands. You know, do you have a simple faith, a faith that Jesus can work with as he's worked in your marriage, as he's worked with your kids, as he's worked with your relatives, or have you given up? And again, I'm not talking mountain-moving faith, huger-than-life faith, just simple faith, Jesus is Lord kind of faith. Come see what I found kind of faith. We also see Andrew's humility. I believe his humility was one of the first, re- one of the reasons that Jesus initiated with him first. He wouldn't feel slighted if others rose above him to a greater degree of prominence. But he would continue to do what he did best, which was as one man going out and reaching another man. You know, in the scriptures, he went through life being known as Simon Peter's brother. Not as Andrew, but as Simon Peter's brother. Uh, You know, for some of us, that might be a little bit of a challenge, always being in someone else's shadow. I know for my son sometimes, that's a challenge for him, wanting to have his own identity, which is understandable. But, you know, with Andrew, Andrew was more concerned with the cause for each one to reach one for Christ than any of the personal accolades that he would get. He wasn't concerned with being in the spotlight. You know, it's, it's kind of sad to say, but there are people who won't play in a band. Unless they get the spotlight. I mean, how many bands have we seen through history that are no longer bands? Because of that kind of just, well, my songs are better, or my lyrics are better, or what I write is better, and want to be that front guy. But that wasn't Andrew. See, Andrew is the picture of all those who labor quietly in humble places, not as men-pleasers, but as servants of Jesus Christ. Someone that's willing to do the will of God from the heart. Andrew may not have been a pillar like a Peter or a John or a James. He may have been cut out of a little bit humbler form of stone. But again, that's Andrew. You know, you look at that. He was the original one of two that was called. Yet, he wasn't in that inner three. It wasn't, you know, Peter, James, and Andrew. But it didn't seem to bother him that he was always referred to as Peter's brother. You know, he's one of those rare individuals that doesn't have a problem with coming in second place or third place, or in this instance, fourth place relationally. He's one of those rare people that wants to be in a support role. He's the kind of man that all leaders depend on. He's the kind of person that everyone can be, which is the bank backbone within a ministry. You know, and, the, and with this, what, we, what I shared with you scripturally tonight, this is pretty much it when it comes to Andrew. Unnoticed, unappreciated, all but forgotten. 
But what a ministry was his. Without Andrew, who would have preached on the day of Pentecost? I mean, isn't that amazing? That he's the one that brought Peter into the fold, and we look at the impact that Peter had. That's amazing. Without Andrew, there would have been thousands of people that day that would have gone hungry. And probably out of those thousands, there were a few that stuck around when it got to Jesus starting to teach those harder teachings rather than just healing people and feeding people, but talking about the need to deny self. There were those that were fed that stuck around later on to have an impact with that early church. Without Andrew, what kind of conviction would there have been for those Jews that were converted to really make a difference with the Gentile population? You know, tradition tells us one of those Gentiles was Luke, the physician, who gave us, again, one of those incredible Gospels that we have to look to today. Good old Doc, Dr. Luke. You know, in heaven, I think Andrew's name, though, stands high, is the man who knew what he had found in Christ and as how as one man he could reach one and another and another, one man who would bring souls to Christ. Daniel McLean, a Scotsman who had a special affection for Andrew, who had become the patron saint of Scotland, writes about his beloved apostle these words. Gathering together the traces of character found in Scripture, found about Andrew, we find neither the writer of an epistle nor the founder of a church nor a leading figure in the apostolic age, but simply an intimate disciple of Jesus Christ. Ever anxious that others should know the spring of spiritual joy and share the blessing he so highly prized. A man of very moderate endowment who scarcely redeemed his early promise, simple-minded and sympathetic without either dramatic power or heroic spirit. Yet he had the clean confidence in Christ that brought him into the inner circle of the twelve. A man with deep religious feeling, with little power of expression, he was more magnetic than he was electric. Better suited for quiet walks of life than the stirring thoroughfares. Yes, Andrew is the apostle of the private life. I put before you tonight that we can all be an Andrew. Each one of us can be an Andrew. Each one of us can reach one. And the thing that's so awesome about Andrew, Andrew would continue to do what he did best. It's one man reaching another. Tradition also tells us that Andrew had the privilege of preaching in a province where he converted the governor's wife. The governor was so upset about this that he demanded that his wife reject Christ, and when she wouldn't, he decided to have Andrew crucified. Tradition says he was crucified on an X. That's why an X is the symbol of Andrew. An X-shaped cross. And that tradition tells us that he was on that cross for two days, and while he hung there, he continued to preach the Word of God so that those that were around him that that one man, again, would have the opportunity to reach just one more. Right till his last breath, he was out there preaching the Word of God. You know, when I think about Peter, I think about the thousands that were impacted. And, you know, there are probably not a whole lot of Peters amongst us today. But there was another man who was humble, gentle, and inconspicuous. Andrew didn't see the crowds but he saw the individuals. He saw the individuals in those crowds, that those crowds were made of. You know, while he himself may have never attracted a mob, 
he kept bringing people to Jesus, one man at a time, one woman at a time. And God uses people like that, and only God can calculate their value, because sometimes it takes an Andrew to reach a Peter. God needs Andrews. People quietly, obscurely bring others to Jesus with something no more complicated than, look what I have found. What kind of people does God use? Definitely uses great leaders like Peter, but he also uses behind-the-scenes, obscure, faithful people like Andrew. What kind of people does God use? God uses any kind. Listen to this. It is not what you are. It is what you are willing to become that is the issue. Fishermen of Galilee, we know that they gave up what they knew, working those nets. They gave up a job for a purpose. They made a transition, and each one of them was different, but each one of them went on to become fishers of men. And with that, we know on an incredible scale, they gathered many souls into the church. I think what this shows is that Christ can take a very common person and make them a very uncommon disciple. Are you available for God? Because God needs more Andrews. In 2011, let us, each and every one of us, reach one. Amen? Thank you.